Hey, this is Brett Miller with the National Wood Flooring Association. I'm here with a special guest, Johannes Boonstro with Rubio Monocoat. Johannes, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Do you want to introduce yourself, get a little bit of your, your background, your history, and uh, what brought you into our industry? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, Johannes Boonstra. I'm originally from the Netherlands. I'm not really a floor guy by trade. So when I grew up as a kid, I wanted to be a fisherman. That didn't happen. So I went after my grandfather's trade. I really like to deal with paint. I've always had a little bit of an artistic inclination, I think. So uh, I went to school to become a licensed painter, uh, and then I continued a little bit to be uh, certified as a master painter. I was much more focused on the practical hands-on approach than things, than uh, instead of the commercial side of it. Chemistry, I never really was much interested, but I've learned enough about the chemistry of coatings to be dangerous enough, I think, to understand how that works. So I've been dealing with a lot of uh, wood restoration work. You know, we worked on buildings that were going back to the year 1000, old churches and so on. So that was always a keen interest of me. I never liked anything about wedding square footage. I called that as a painter. And then from time of time to time, we would get involved with fancy homes where parquet layers had installed floors. They would sand the floors, and then we as painters would come in to finish the floors. In those days, this was primarily, you know, finishes like two-component polyurethanes, and I've worked with a lot of conversion varnish in my younger years. From that time of on, you know, I've been doing a lot of different things with paint, of course. I've restored antique cars. Uh, I was involved with industrial painting. So I've done a little bit of everything. Uh, wood imitation painting, you know, uh, marble imitations, things like that. But couldn't really make uh, much of a living in those days with restoration world. So I kind of changed my focus a little bit, did a couple of years of uh, automotive painting. That was my specialty, especially involved with colors. I was the kind of a specialist also in color matching, things like that. So I have a decent eye for color. Uh, my dad never had color sensitivity because he was colorblind, but that's something that I really always liked. So, and then from that point of on, um, I made a decision at one point in my life, the heck with all of it, uh, moved to the U.S. That had a great deal to do with my wife. In those days, it was my girlfriend, of course, but we got married there. And then I moved to the United States back with her. And I started to work for a Dutch company, very large multinational company, that a couple of years after I started working for them here in the U.S., they acquired a Danish company. Uh, with that came a hardwood floor finish side along with it, and they asked me if I want to specialize in that, and that's how I got really involved with hardwood floors full-time in the United States. From that point of on, I immediately got involved with the National Wood Floor Association. I, I can't even tell you exactly when that was, but I've been very much involved with educational part of it. I've always liked that. I strongly believe in sharing you know, different tips and techniques and how to work with products and how to get the best outcome to do that with contractors. So I've always had a strong interest in the educational side, and that's what I focused on. So I did a lot of instruction work. I was never a hardware floor contractor by trade, but I finished a lot of floors. That started in the U.S. when I became employed for the company that was dealing with hardware floor finishes. 
I know in the schools that you've been a part of, we always, when we get to the technical side of finishes, the chemistry and really taking a look at in depth, the differences of finishes and the technicalities behind one finish over another application, proper mixing, spread rates, compatibility. We lean on you quite a bit when you're there. It's always a, a gift to have you there as a, as a presenter, as a teacher. The students thrive off of having you there. Your background speaks for itself, knowing that you're a master painter, knowing that you're, you understand color theory, knowing that you understand things that, f- from a finishing perspective, you need to understand in order to properly apply and finish a wood floor, apply a coat of finish to a wood floor. Something that today we're seeing a lot of is a little bit more of the, as you could call them, exotic colors or some more of the wood tones have always been around, darks and lights, but we're getting, we're seeing more of the the multi-layered color systems, even getting into the grays and the whites and the blacks and, and really getting a little bit away from color to, from wood tones, but also wood tones blended in with some of these exotic colors. What's your take on some of the drastic colors and things that, that we're seeing out there? Where do you see the color trends going in our industry? Yeah, color trends, uh, Brad, are set by the taste of people and what they see, what they believe is going to be something that people like to see. So there is a lot of large companies that have uh, people that specialize in color trends and that try to sell that, I guess, by teaching, you know, this is where we see things going. So I think it's kind of a psychology thing is involved with that, I think. So you can sell everything if you want. But I believe that certain trends spill over from different things that we see from, you know, that get imported into the United States from other countries, from Europe in particular, I think. We see that spill over and then uh, potential customers see that. Uh, They like it. They picked it up. Uh, the internet is a huge additional thing on that, you know, uh, feeding that information to people. So uh, we see there's a lot that we get approached by customers that come up with a house picture or Pinterest or whatever not, and they show that to you. And then, you know, they say, this is what we like to have on our floor. So as a company, we try to feed into that, you know, our base company is based in, you know, or our mother company is based in Europe, in Belgium, but we're bringing all those products over from Europe and we can feed into that by providing all those different color options. Now, color is, is really a very subjective matter, so that varies from one person to another one what one likes. But yeah, I mean, color trends for a long time, you know, ceruzing, we talk about a lot where you do a white or a grayish type of a color that remains in open spring wood like oak or ash with a darker or a grayer background. But you can reverse that too. I have seen a trend going towards where people want no more of a lightish, a bleached out or a creamy type of a background color. And then with a darker blackish or a brownish ceruzing color so i kind of call that a reversed ceruzing effect but that is all possible and where color trends are going to go i really have no idea to be honest but we are ready for that i'm ready for that i like the psychology i think of colors we we see trends changing it goes gradually 
colors are never going to stay the same. You know, there was a time that people liked uh, bleached floors, whitewashed floors. For a long time, that was gone. That has made a comeback again, I think. But we see a lot more trends towards gray colors with varying levels of greenish, more brownish, yellowish, gray colors. Again, it's a subjective thing. And that's driven a lot by architects and specifically designers. You know, designers are focusing on that. They're trying to feel out what potential customers like, and that's driven that way. So we, we see it come from different directions. There's a school that you and I were both instructing at oh, five or six or seven years ago. I don't remember when, but you had made some sample boards of the Saru's look and then the reverse Saru's, like you just mm-hmm. mentioned. But the colors that you put together, I was blown away. I'd never seen anything like it. When you showed me how you did it, it just, it, it was like a light bulb turned off for me. And these sample boards, it was uh, a hard grain split wood. I think it was oak or ash. Um, and you had wire brushed it. You had torn out the soft grain a little bit. One of the samples was black in the spring wood, and it was almost a canary yellow on the face. And then you did the reverse on the other one where it was almost a canary yellow in the grain and black on the face. And all I could compare it to was a tiger, the look of a tiger, the tiger stripe. And I still look at that and I think about that as the tiger stripe samples that you had made. So when you talk about trends and where they go, I'm seeing at the advanced level finish school that we're putting together that you're a part of some of these floors that guys are making that are serused, but they have a purple background or, you know, deep red tone or, or any of the, the, the exotic colors, any of the primary colors or secondary colors. It's so great to see color being thrown in while still maintaining that natural wood tone background. It it is great to see. Mm -hmm. I love your concept that it is all psychological. It's psychology and it's how our industry drives trends. Yeah, that's correct. I remember that very clearly. I believe that it was a piece of maple that we did that on. Was it maple? The, it was, uh, we call that citroen. It's like a, right. a very yellowish color, and we were trying to mimic the look of hard pine with a very yellowish undertone on a piece of maple, which is nearly impossible to do. But we were distressing that board, do a French bleed on it. I remember this. That's what I remember. I remember you know, the distress. And I like to get in people's head and create the idea that, you know, depending on what your own imagination is, you can create any color contrast you want. So, you know, the sky is the limit. Some colors, you know, I I personally am of the opinion that when I hear things that I think, you know, man, you got to be kidding me that, you know, but in the right situation, odd, very unusual color combinations can be just right. And uh, I believe that's an important facet for a contractor to understand that, too. And, and I certainly would uh, encourage every contractor to read a little bit about color psychology and the color, you know, how colors work and interact with each other. A contractor should listen really good, I believe, to what a customer likes and then try to put it in a place that he can say, yeah, this might work for this customer. So a lot of it is driven by listening, I think, what the customer is looking for. And often customers have no idea what they want. I run into that all the time, too. I would agree. I think most of the time customers don't know what they want. They might, they may have seen something on Pinterest or on social media or on at the store, 
um, that they think they like, but mm-hmm. under their lighting, with their furniture and their home, with their natural light, it may not work. I 100% agree. Listening is one of the most important selling features that any professional can have when they yeah. go in to deal with a homeowner in their home. Yep. Yeah, and, and you know, especially the la- uh, last year, this year particularly, I would say, I have seen uh, more of a trend in where people want a lighter background, creamy, whitish background with different colors in the grain, multi-layering. And, and I believe that has to do what we see with LVT coming in the market where they can do a lot of different things that people think that you have to buy LVT for, but that is not necessarily the case. With the right base colors, in the right colors uh, that you go over that we can mimic that look we have done that today in the school here by using for example a light pre-color that we put on the wood by setting a light background tone and then going with a brownish blackish color over that to create that uh, reversed ceruzing that i like to refer to you know and uh, people people commented to me on that you know they said you know that looks you know, just like what we see a lot on LVT that we usually have not been able to uh, create, but it is possible. So I believe that it is a very important thing for manufacturers to key into that, to follow color trends and to be able to fill the customer's needs on that and guide them in the right direction, how you can create certain looks. And it boils down to a lot of experimenting. Um, if I go back in my youth and what I've done in the past, I've done a lot of crazy things with color combinations and throwing things together that there was not one manufacturer that would stand ever behind that. But it is the cost, the contractor, his responsibility, I believe, to test those things out because his customers are looking for certain things and he is kind of the in-between person to fill that gap and to provide it. And manufacturers cannot always provide that. It boils down to also a contract that needs to understand what the limits are, how they can create certain looks. I, I really like that part of the industry, you know, where we can create looks that a lot of customers uh, are looking for and that many contractors cannot give them with conventional finishing systems. And I believe that that's where, you know, companies fall into place, especially with hard wax oils that that market can fill that gap quite a bit. I'm sure that it's not for everybody, you know, there's still going to be a need for conventional uh, film building finishes, but hard wax oil products or penetrating oils are the alternative way of finishing wood that gives you that very natural look, but you can also can create very unique color uh, combinations, definitely. And I think we do see, our industry has seen a big increase in interest in the natural oils the hard wax oils we see i I don't know the percentages of the amount of finishes that are out there but through a lot of our higher level schools where we do get a little bit more of the application of the hard wax oils and the burnished end finishes that actually penetrate into the wood the biggest thing that i hear from contractors is i want to know how to do it but i don't have the confidence in the systems yet to be able to promote it or sell it I think everybody appreciates and respects a good film forming finish over the last 20, 30 years. It's been what our industry has used and great products. I think it's a difficult, it's a challenge for a flooring contractor specifically to think about a wood floor without a protective coating finish sitting on top of the wood. But I know the technology has come so far with the, the penetrating oils that they are performing 
very similarly and the maintenance is very similar in a lot of cases simpler than the protection of a film forming finish one of the challenges our industry has with those types of finishes is maintenance shoot we've got a a problem in our industry with maintaining a film forming finish and customers going to the grocery store and buying the wrong product for the floor just because they're not educated what steps do you think our industry needs to take to educate the end user on maintaining their floors based on the type of finish they have yeah that's a good question actually you know what we see that a lot with maintaining floors that people let them go too long without proper maintenance and and maintenance can be uh, looked at in two different ways you know how do we keep the floors clean how do we clean them with what do we clean them and then secondly you know how often would they need to be recoded and with what the company that I work with right now, Ruby Monaco, you know, we basically are pretty straightforward. You know, we tell people that uh, the product line that we're dealing with is easy to maintain. And the minute people hear that, they assume, oh, there is nothing needed to maintain it. Well, we don't say that. You know, we really don't say that. We don't mean that easy to maintain means that it is fairly easy to maintain floors without much... Oh, complications are with much difficulty. You know, it can be accommodated for it very easy. What we mean with easy maintenance, you know, you clean your floors the traditional way, you know, vacuum cleaners. Uh, you have your area rugs by the doors, you know, where you trap dirt, you know, the walk-off mats, what we call. But where it boils down to is to use the right cleaner, so we're very specific about that. We tell people that if you need to clean your floor, you don't always need to use the cleaner that we have for that. Often just a water-dampened mop will be a fine. Uh, and if you need to use a cleaner, then we'd say, you know, use this particular cleaner, but use it sparingly. I think the biggest problem I see in this industry that people overuse cleaners. Cleaners leave residue on the floor if you want to or not, you know. They put something in there to clean the floors. And if you don't clean that off properly, then it leaves residue behind. So often we see that from overuse of cleaners that you get tracking and, and smearing and, and smudging of the floors. So that's something that, as manufacturers, we need to you know, be very much more specific about, I think. And then maintenance. Uh, with traditional finishes, you know, when you do you need to do a maintenance coat, and it can vary anywhere. It depends on the situation. If you have commercial floors, they get so heavily abused, they may need to be recoated every year uh, for the simple reason, otherwise they're going to wear through in no time. Sometimes we see that happen. If, and, and that requires typically, you know, emptying the whole place, abrading it, which creates dust. That needs to be removed. That needs to be cleaned up. And then you're dealing with the dry times and the risk of contamination of floors. So those are all factors with traditional coatings. With oils, with hard wax oils, you know, it's simpler. It's easier. You can just use a, re, uh, you know, a, a renovation product or a maintenance oil and buff that in. You don't need to empty the place. You can go around area rugs in the house. Uh, I work with contractors that do, you know, real big homes, mansions. It's virtually impossible to empty them in a short amount of time. Uh, so in those situations with hard wax oil maintenance, we flip over the area rugs, put the chairs back on there, buff around it with oil. The next day, contractor comes in picks up the chairs, you know, lays out the carpet, the area rugs again, and it's ready to use again, typically. So that's what we mean with easy to maintain. I think with 
hard wax oils, you're going to have to think in terms of comparing it with leather or you have a piece of plastic or vinyl. Uh, leather, if you like the beauty of that natural material, like with hard wax oils, then, you know, it's very simple. You need to re-oil leather from time to time. Yes, it gets nicked, it got little scratches and so on. But that's the beauty of it. It's natural. You know, we live on it. We live with it. And as a result, I think hard wax oils in the end are going to be a lot easier to maintain. Uh, polyurethane finishes, you know, uh, film building finishes are never going to go away. That has been ingrained in the industry. But if we're looking at potential, where is this industry going to go with it? That's hard to explain. But I believe there is a lot of growth still going to happen with hard wax oils. Once people understand the concept, and that gets back to the contractor, like you said, the contractor might be unaware or very skittish about trying something else they've never tried. They haven't seen proof of it. I know what they mean when they hear, uh, you know, that with, with oil finishes, with hard wax oil finishes, that, you know, no film build coating on there, uh, one coat application. Wow, that says, that sounds really good. But in the same breath, they think, yeah, right, that can't be true, isn't it? And, and that's a natural thought process, I think, if you've been always used to building up finish, finish coats. Uh, I was just talking with a contractor here in the school that uh, he said, I've had this particular hard wax oil finish on my floor uh, for four or five years. I just put a renew coat on there. I refreshed it, and it looks like brand new again. It's the easiest thing ever. He said it took me a while to get convinced about that. But it, it's just a matter of getting experience with it, understanding the uh, pros and the cons with it. You know, there's always going to be things that you say, yeah, I, you know, you got to be aware of that. But in essence, we're living on those floors. We, we are wearing them out, and they all need maintenance. And that's the same thing with polyurethane. It's the same thing with hard wax oil finishes. So when we say easy to maintain, that doesn't mean there is no maintenance needed. There is maintenance needed, definitely. You, you mentioned earlier the plastic floors that are out there. Uh, it's no different than plastic floors. Plastic floors need maintenance. The difference is plastic floors, when people don't like them, they go to the dump. And they sit in the dump and they look like the same plastic floor they did the day they were manufactured for however long they sit there without degrading where wood is timeless, wood will last, and wood can be refinished and it can be recolored to match today's trends or tomorrow's psychology of color and where, where the customer wants to go with it. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, you know, the thing is with, with an oil floor, it's very easy to maintain. You can maintain that for the life of the floor. That means that could be, you know, three or four generations that live in that house. They never need to resand that floor as long as they clean it and maintain it with the refresher oil. Now, if you want to change the decor, of course, the color, yeah, then it requires that you remove it. But it's it's rather easy to do that. Uh, and, and I believe with oiled floors also, especially now we have a trend of wide plank floors. People like more and more the wider plank floors, uh, not the narrow strips anymore. And film building coatings have the tendency to uh, how would I say that the right way? Uh, not cause it, but uh, uh, be more of a trigger of indifferences between 
you know, the variations of humidity above and underneath the floor, where the floors have tendency more to cup or crown, where with oil finishes, they are more breathable, more open to the fluctuations in the humidity. So they stay, relatively speaking, more flat compared to a film building finish. So with that trend, I believe that the wider plank floors are beneficial by getting an oil on there so they maintain their flatness better too. That's a side effect, I believe. Sure, and that is a good point. I think that's one of the one of the things that our industry has been engulfed with for a long time is you know, moisture control systems below our wood floors and hadn't really thought about the permeability of the finishes on top of the floors. I was talking to a building scientist not long ago, and his comment to me made a ton of sense. He says, it really doesn't matter what the permeability is of the product that's below your floor or what's below the subfloor or what's on top of the floor. The entire piece is a system. The subfloor, the wood floor, the finish, it's all a system. And that entire system is only as permeable as the least permeable item within that system. And I was reminded when he said that about a gym floor that I was in resanding. This was a 30-year-old gym floor. He gets two coats of poly every year. Um, first year it was done, it had three coats of poly on it. So doing the math, this floor had 65, 70 coats of finish on there possibly. And the floor was, it was just old and patinaed. And when we sanded it and got that finish off, that floor started shrinking up and cupping. And we saw the wood. And the only way I could describe it was that we just removed plastic from the surface and it started breathing again. And it was like it took a breath after 50, or after 30 years. The permeability, it was basically impermeable membrane that was on top of that floor, suffocating it. And when you have something like that over a surface, it can trap moisture underneath. So, yeah, I could see what you're saying about natural oils not being as impermeable as a, as a film-forming finish. I think, as you said, all of these finishes have their place. I don't think you would put a natural hard wax oil on a gym floor. I don't think you could. But I think there are there's a place and a time for every one of these types of finishes. And like I think one of the things that you hit on is key when it comes to maintenance, and the perspective of what a wood floor is. And that is floors, like you said, floors are going to nick. They are going to scratch. We are going to get gouges and dents, and we're going to get wear patterns. And the idea that that's a negative is really not a good idea. I mean, tile chips, tile chips. You can cut your foot on it, and it doesn't look good. When wood gets a nick in it, it's really a memory. It's a part of that floor, and it actually adds character to that floor, uh, being a natural product. So those wear patterns, the scratches, all of that stuff is is a part of the, the patina and the beauty of what wood is. And, and you know, the finishes and the colors and everything you put on top just help highlight that natural product. It does make sense to me. I, I, I truly appreciate your expertise when it comes to the colors and the finishes. And one thing that I didn't get a chance to ask you about, but I'd love to hear your thoughts because we're using it within the coloring systems today, are some of these reactive conditioners, chemicals that react with the natural chemicals that are in wood, like tannic acid. I know you play quite a bit with some of the different types of chemicals. One of the guys ran off to the store this week at the uh, Advanced Finish School and bought some Clorox bleach um, because he 
he wanted to change the the effect of that floor. Well, we have three types of bleach out there. We have the Clorox that he have. We have the, the traditional wood bleach, the two-component bleach, and we've got oxalic acid out there, each of which are changing the color a little bit differently. We've got ammonia. We've got... We've got some vinegar and steel wool mixing out there for getting that iron acetate solution on that floor. Those natural chemical conditioners, the, the reactive conditioners that we put on floors, what are, what's your thought process with not only just the application and the desired look, but repairs and replicating the colors from one floor to another or coming back and doing repairs on a floor that's had a chemical reactive treatment done to it? Yeah, that's a good question. People never really think about that, you know, but down the line, uh, when you have a, a chemical reactive color change in the wood, what a lot of people don't realize, but what is very important to know is that when you are doing a treatment on the wood, then over time, with the exposure to light, that color will shift quite dramatically. Not just a little bit with some of the uh, chemicals that we use, you know, the color change is going to be pretty dramatic. So in terms of repairability, well, every additional step you do to a floor is going to complicate the repairability. So if there is only two processes, it's not all too complicated. You know, you just have to bring that whole board back down to bare wood and re-treat it with that chemical that is used. Now, if you're using a multitude of chemicals, if, if you used to use a multitude of chemicals to create a certain color, then that further complicates it. You know, we don't believe in that. You know, we like to keep it simple, easy to do. But it is repairable, but usually you have to repair the whole board. And then you have to remember that because of the color change that took place over maybe a half year or two years or three years down the line, uh, when you know what you did exactly on the floor, it will still take time for that color change to catch up when you did the repair. If you try to match it perfectly, then later on in two years, that repair that looked perfect in the beginning is going to change and shift color again. So you have to play with all of that. Uh, it does complicate things. It, it really does. But uh, the beauty of those chemical reactants, you know, uh, you can come up with color combination that you normally could never get. And the variation from one board to another board is very unique. Uh, but, you know, there's people that say uh, they absolutely love working with chemical reactants. I'm one of them. But the drawback is that it complicates repairability. It absolutely does. It does. Well, Johannes, I could, uh, we could probably sit here and talk, finish all day, and I, and I, and I love it. This advanced finish school that we're putting together you know we only do one a year we might do two just depending on on a couple things from time to time but this is the school that allows our students to come in and have that one-on-one -on -one interaction with our instructors and it's the one where they're able to think outside the box and and think about using different types of products to create those very complex systems that you're talking about uh, and I appreciate you being here for this school and in the future when we're able to do some more of these. But I'd, I'd really like to thank you for taking the time away and coming in to talk a little bit about yourself and your background and finishes and colors and, and everything else. Thank you. I appreciate being here. And, you know, I always felt uh, a welcome guest here. So I do understand that. And I like to share what I know. And I'd like to mention, too, that uh, 
even though that I've had, you know, 30 plus years experience with uh, coatings, uh, well, probably 40 years, even interacting with students, we still pick things up, you know, and myself, I like to admit that every day is an opportunity to learn, even for myself, definitely. Thanks for having me here. Thank you, Johannes.